Again, good morning. It's good to be with you. I'm grateful to be here with you all. I'm grateful that, that Rich is recovering, and, and I'm looking forward to him being back here. I know we all are. And um, we've been praying for him at church. I know throughout uh, the week we have different prayer groups at our church, and, and uh, I know that they've all been praying. I have one on Friday mornings. We've been praying for Rich and his family throughout all this, and um, we, we, we are praying that he gets back here and uh, where he belongs. So it is good, though, to be with you, and it's, it's wonderful to, to gather as the church, and, you know, whether it's down the street or if it's overseas, there's something about the people of God gathering together on a Sunday morning that is unique. There's a, um, I think Wayne was talking about this in his prayer. There's this bond, a bond of love through Jesus Christ that we have, and it breaks down barriers. And so I remember there's a story that I heard years back about this Romanian missionary when he just got into Romania. He's walking down the street and he's praying, Lord, I have no idea how I'm going to interact or find the church because this was during the time of communism and so the church was underground. And so as he's walking around the streets, all of a sudden he started hearing this man whistle and he's whistling a hymn. And so the missionary who didn't know much Romanian, he, he actually started walking alongside this man and he started whistling the same hymn. And they both stop and they, they looked at each other and they're trying to communicate and finally they had to do symbols. And so, so he uh, um, you know, touch, touched his hands or made a cross and he touched his heart and the missionary with, with tears was excited and he grasped this brother in Christ. And so even though they didn't speak the lang same language, they were from different countries, there was a union, a unity, a, a bond between them because of Jesus Christ. And so it's wonderful that it doesn't matter where we come from, what location, our backgrounds, we can gather together as Christ's church. And all those barriers break down. So again, I am grateful to be here. So if you turn your Bibles to John chapter 4, verses 1 through 24, you could be on your phones. I think there might be some Bibles maybe nearby. Um, I would encourage you to keep them open. We're going to walk through this event together and hopefully glean from it. This is where Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at a well, and, and it takes place while Jesus was traveling around the countryside, and he's preaching, and he's teaching, and he's baptizing, and he passes through a region called Samaria. And if you know some of your history back then, Samaria, Samaria was not part of Israel. The, the Samaritans, they were considered half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-Gentile. And so Jewish people didn't like to interact with them. They didn't even like to go into Samaria. They would walk around it. But Jesus passes through this region, 
And while he's doing so, the disciples that were with him, they, they go off and find food, and Jesus decides to rest next to a well. And so this is a very interesting interaction that he's going to have with this woman at the well. And so uh, it's usually our tradition at Sawyer uh, to stand in the reading of the word. And so I would just ask you again to stand and let me read this passage for you. This is John chapter 4, verses 1 through 24. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, willing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus answered to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvations from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we ask, Lord, that you would reveal to us your word. It would not be my words or opinions, but it would be the word of God that we hear. May our eyes see, may our ears hear what you have for us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I don't know about you, but I, I love murder mysteries. I love the stories of like Sherlock Holmes. And this is kind of like that. Uh, you can imagine how this Samaritan woman felt when she encounters Jesus at the well and, and he begins to talk in riddles. What in the world is this man talking about? Who is he? What is this water that he's talking about? And as that conversation progresses, the question is, is where do we go to worship? Lots of questions, lots of riddles. So there are three important questions that we must ask of this text. And that is, who is the woman talking to? What is the living water that he's talking about? And where do we go to worship? So unbeknownst to the Samaritan woman, these three questions are rooted in one fundamental question. She does not realize this, but as you read through this passage and hopefully as we understand it, it boils down to one question and that is where do we find the presence of God? That's basically the main idea of this section, I think, that John is trying to get across. Where do we find the presence of God? This is an essential question that, that all of us struggle with. Where do we find him? And this takes us back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve. When God created them and put them in the Garden of Eden, he would come down to them in the cool of the day and he would walk with them. He had a relationship with them. They were in his presence. But when Adam and Eve sinned by eating from the tree that was forbidden, God removed them from the Garden of Eden and so doing, removed them from his presence. Ever since that time throughout history, men have been longing to return to the Garden of Eden, to walk with their God, to encounter his presence, to be close to the divine, to be near the creator. So for example, Jacob in the Old Testament, this is the grandson of Abraham, at, at one time, at one day, he has a dream, a vision where a ladder was set on earth and it reached to the heavens. And he saw angels climbing up and down. And, and the passage says that, that God was standing over it. So imagine having this vision, this ladder with, with these angels and and God standing over, this, this would be mind-blowing. Your jaw would drop. What would you do if you saw the presence of God? 
maybe, maybe fall down in worship. Genesis chapter 28, verse 17 says that Jacob, he, he was afraid. How awesome is this place, he says. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he was laying on and he puts it up as a pillar and he pours oil on top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. He wanted to create a memory, a, a memorial of the place where he experienced the presence of God. So when he walked past, he said, I met God here. Or when anyone walked past that place, this is where, this is a place where God dwelt. Another example is when Moses was instructed to build the tabernacle, which was to be the dwelling place for God among his people. So in Exodus chapter 40, this, there's this image of, of a cloud that covers the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the place, filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the meeting place because of this cloud, because the glory of the Lord filled it. It's where God dwelt. During the time of King Solomon, he, he builds the temple for God and it's the same thing. Priests come out of the of the holy place and the temple and a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. This temple in Jerusalem, that's where God dwelt. And throughout the rest of the history of the Jews, they would go to Israel. They would go to Jerusalem. They would go to the temple in order to experience the presence of God. The presence of the Lord dwelt within the temple and people would travel all over just to be in his presence. So that's the backdrop of this discussion that Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman. It's about man trying to get back to Eden, to be in God's presence. So fast forward to Jesus sitting at the well with this woman and Jesus asks her for a drink and it surprises her because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And this is where Jesus begins his riddles. So if you look at verse 10, Jesus answered her and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so here's our first question. Who is the woman talking to? Who is this strange man next to the well? And that question, who this man is, is confounded and mystified philosophers and academics for thousands of years. Some believe he was a social justice radical who turned society upside down. Some say he was a good teacher who taught people how to love one another. Some say he was a prophet who spoke wise words and God's laws. 
And Jesus of Nazareth has mystified people for generations, and we don't exactly know what to do with him. Who is this man? The Apostle John gives us the answer at the beginning of this gospel. John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then if you jump down to verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, or Paul, or John, excuse me, got to get my name straight. I do that with my children all the time. <laughs> do that with the disciples. John here is writing about Jesus, that he is the word, that he is with God and was God, and that he was dwelling among his people. And so this is who the Samaritan is talking to. She is talking to the word who created the universe, who was with God and was God. And so this is a unique time in history. For 33 years, God was made flesh and walked with his people. There were many people who followed him and drew near to him and he performed miracles. He turned water into wine. He made the blind see. He made the deaf hear. He made the lame walk. He calmed storms with a word and even raised the dead with a command. So today we, I think we dream about being with Jesus in that way. Could you imagine being back then, back at that time to be physically in the presence of God made flesh? We, we dream of it. We, we would be in wonder and awe to be in the presence of God in that way, to be able to commune with him. It would be amazing. But God being in the flesh is not where Jesus is taking this conversation. He, I, his identity is remarkable, yes, but there's more he wants to reveal. So look again at verse 10. Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So when she finds out who he truly is, she would ask him for a gift. If she knew that it was God standing in front of her, it, that wouldn't be enough. She would ask him for something, a gift. And what is that gift? Living water. Well, wait a minute. Here's that riddle again. What is, what is this li living water? And that's our second question. What is living water? Now, the Samaritan woman thinks that living water is physical water. And she thinks it's physical water that will quench her physical thirst forever. So if you look at verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but who drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The Samaritan woman caught on to that phrase. Well, what? The water, Jesus then says, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, 
Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So put yourself in her shoes because acquiring water back then was a huge chore. So today, we could just walk to our kitchen, turn on the faucet, we can walk to our bathrooms, turn on the tub, and the water will flow. And I don't know if you have little kids that like to turn on water and then walk out of the room. It will continue to flow and flow and flow, unending water. Not in that time. So imagine being back then. For you, you would have to go to this well for all your cooking needs, for, for just to quench your thirst. You would have to travel to that well and gather water into buckets and carry it back to your home. And this was a daily time-consuming routine. It was hard work and you had to do it every single day. So the Samaritan woman thought she just struck gold. Oh, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming back to this well every single day. Give me this water so I will never thirst. I'll never have to worry about drinking water again. Back in the day, this was when I was in college. So way back in the day, I remember uh, getting together with some friends and this was like our, our youth group, okay? So, so we, didn't, we didn't drink, all right? But sometimes we would be goofy and still play drinking games or make ourselves or challenge ourselves to do silly things like drink water, as much water as we can, like out of a two liter, right? So it'd be like, I bet you you can't drink a whole two liter of water in five minutes. Oh, you're on. So I remember us guys, funny how the ladies never take part in these silly things. I think they're smarter. But we used to just start guzzling as much water as we can. And I remember drinking so much water that I was getting sick. Do you know that you can actually die from drinking too much water? And so, I mean, guys were, were about ready to throw up. I remember I was getting queasy. I was sweating from drinking so much water. But I remember the next day. The next day, of course, I had to go to the restroom several times, but I was never thirsty. The whole entire day, I actually felt great. I was so hydrated. It's like I could eat whatever. I could eat saltine crackers and not drink a cup of water, right? I didn't have to thirst, but guess what? In 24 hours, I had to start drinking water again. For a minute there, I thought, man, I never have to drink again. Nope, the next day I would have to go back and drink So here's the point. See, for a period of time, I was satisfied. I had no thirst, no need. I had my fill. In the same way, the Samaritan woman was asking to be satisfied. But Jesus was not talking about physical water or physical thirst. He he helps the Samaritan woman, though, understand this. She doesn't realize what he's talking about. 
And so he says this, he says, go call your husband and bring him here. Now, why in the world would Jesus ask such an unrelated question? It seems like he's going in one direction, then all of a sudden turns around and goes a different direction. I mean, it came out of left field. Why does he tell her to go call her husband? This is her response. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus replies back and says, you're right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one now, the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. So now he's more than just a man, right? He must be a prophet. But look at what he's describing here to her. What is going on here? Why does Jesus take this conversation in a totally different direction and kind of create an awkward moment, right? Here's the answer. Jesus is not changing the subject. He's bringing out in the open the deep longing that is buried in the heart of the Samaritan woman. You see, Jesus identified how she was trying to satisfy her deepest longing with men and human relationships. And she had to learn the hard way that no man can satisfy. That's, that's why she was on her sixth man. It cannot satisfy the deepest longing that she has. And so sure, she would be fulfilled for a short time. Her needs would be fulfilled for a short time, but then she would have to find another. And so the point is this, the joys and the pleasures of this world do not last. They will satisfy for a short time, but then you must search for another well, another thing, another person to fill you up, to quench that thirst. So this brings us back to verse 10, where he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So what is this living water? We know from verse 14 that it will satisfy and it will also well up to eternal life. And we also know that it is Jesus who gives it, but what is it? And all we have to do is jump forward to a couple of chapters. This is John chapter seven, where it says on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, it's going back to that thirst and water analogy. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So there's a lot going on here that, is be, that John is revealing later in chapter seven. But may this be very clear. What is this living water? It is the spirit of God. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you 
the spirit of God. That is what he's saying to this woman at the well. And remember God's presence used to reside in the tabernacle and in the temple and in the man Jesus. But now what Jesus is saying is that God is going to reside within the hearts of all who believe in his name. Brothers and sisters, this is astonishing. This is amazing. It's too great for words. It's like, unlike anything God has ever done before. To reside in his people. Now, it seems as though this Samaritan woman changes topics, but I think she's starting to get an idea of what Jesus is actually talking about. Because this brings us to verse 20, where she asks this question. Or actually, it's in, it's in a form of a statement. But it is this. She says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And so this brings the third question to the surface, and that is, where do we go to worship? So the Samaritan woman is asking this critical question because people go to worship where God dwells. That makes sense, right? You go to the tabernacle, that's where God dwelt. You go to the temple, that's where God, God dwelt. So, so where do you go to worship? It's where God dwells. People try to get as close as they can to God to worship. And so the Samaritan woman is saying, look, uh, you guys, you Jews say that this is where God dwells. That's where his presence is. And so that's where we're supposed to go to worship. In Samaritan, in Samaria, Samarit, Samarit, <laughs> the Samaritans in Samaria, there we go. This is where we worship at this mountain. That's where God dwells. So look at John chapter four, verse 21. This is his answer to her. Verse 21 says, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. Jesus tells her it's neither. So where do we go to worship? Well, Jesus continues on, verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Here he is giving riddles again. Jesus, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I think he's talking about this gift, the, the living water, the, the Holy Spirit. We, we see this come to fruition after Jesus has risen from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the throne of the Father. This is what he's talking about here. It comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It's where the disciples are together. Jesus has, has risen from the grave. He's ascended to the right hand of the throne of the Father, and the disciples are together. Verse 2 says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit 
gave them utterance. Friends, this is the story of the birth of the church. And this is the hour Jesus was proclaiming to the Samaritan woman when he says that the hour is coming and is now here. It's, it's when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This is what he's talking about, the birth of the church, when the spirit comes and dis descends on all who believe in Christ. Jesus is proclaiming the relocation of the presence of God. That is what he's doing. Jesus is saying that God will not reside in a temple nor on top of a mountain. It will not be in a geographical location. The presence of God will reside in his people. His presence dwells within us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says this, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So we do not go to the temple. We don't go to church. We are the church. You know, a lot of times we talk today, you know, we, we have these uh, Christian, this Christian lingo and these phrases. And so I know early in the morning on a Sunday morning, I wake up my children and I say, it's time to go to church. So it's like this, we, we have it in our mindset that, that it's this location or it's this specific building, almost as if we walk into a particular building and then all of a sudden we're on holy ground. Now I would suggest to you this ground is not holy until his people enter it. Then it's holy. So where do we go to worship? Wherever we gather as the church because this is where the presence of God is now, right? Right now, right now, even right now as we gather together as followers of Jesus Christ, this is where God's presence dwells. Ephesians chapter two, verses 19 through 22 says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So brothers and sisters, this should make us think a little differently about our Sunday mornings. And so let me challenge you in two ways. Number one is how do you walk through these doors on a Sunday morning? Do you just go through the motions, hoping the pastor doesn't go too long? 
Or are you more concerned about how the worship team sounds? Or are you distracted by the to-do list that may be in your head that must be accomplished? When we gather on a Sunday morning, we are coming into the presence of God in a, in a beautiful and unique way. And so my challenge to you is let us come with our hearts and minds prepared to worship him, to make this time a holy moment because God is among you. He is here. And our call then is to worship him in his presence. That's challenge number one. Let me give you challenge number two. And this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were, brought with, you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So the point here is this, that we are called to keep the temple pure to flee from sin, to kill the passions of the flesh within us. And when we do fall into sin, to repent, to run to Jesus. And here's the wonderful thing. It's, it's because of what he has done for us on the cross. He has promised that he will cleanse us from our sins. He will cleanse the temple with his blood. And so if you know who Jesus is, if you know he is the son of God, if you put your faith and hope in him alone, he has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. God resides in you. He resides in you. Therefore, may every aspect of your life, may, may every day, every moment be worship. Worship to our God. And with that, let's pray. And the worship team can come up as I pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this event that took place so long ago, this encounter with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Lord, it is through this interaction that you are starting to show your people what it means for God to dwell within us, for you to dwell within us. Father, this is an amazing truth, and it is, it is unlike even, even walking alongside Jesus physically that you would dwell within us, that we don't have to go to some location or find some person to be near God. Lord, we thank you for this truth. And I, I pray, Lord, that we would even take time later today, even throughout this week, that we would consider what that means for us. Just, we, just even as we go throughout our day, as we, we get out of bed, as we get dressed, as we, as we make breakfast and, 
and go to work, as we engage with others, Lord, it means something that you are with us, even during those times in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us consider that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.